Oh, about my show? Yeah. Yeah. So Sonic Dorms, basically, I found uh, I'm a music educator. I've been uh, a huge fan of uh, music for a long, long time as far as the history behind it. And my eclectic taste served me well because it allows me to visit all genres of music. So instead of sitting around and just going to school for media communications and leaving it there, I felt like this is a passion of mine and I needed an outlet. I don't feel there's enough outlets nowadays for people, musicians, artists, to talk about what they do best, and that's make music. Come on, man. Come on, man. You teach it now. You know, so, Duke Ellington said it, man. He said what you said. Duke Ellington said there's two kinds of music, good and bad. Exactly. That's And I 100% agree with that. I believe there is quality out there that still exists, and we need to make that the focal point again in any way. So I just started this about a year or so ago, but, you know, uh, having respectable, incredible artists such as yourself giving me the time of day is definitely adding credibility to the brand I'm trying to build here. So I appreciate each step of the way. So thank you, sir, for uh, for doing this with me, really. Man, we got the same job. Let's get this music to the people. <laughs> thank you. So with that being said, uh, welcome to the show. I got Grammy Award winning artist Norman Brown. Uh, he is the gateway to why I fell in love with jazz music, smooth jazz music. Um, it really fancy, I fancy it as well because I love R&B and you also bring that to the table by mixing some of those elements into the world of jazz. So um, I, thank you, thank you for doing this. And um, I have to mention something that made me fall in love with your music initially was that I could always sing along or hum along more so to your guitar melody. That's what's up right there, man. You said the key word. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. And what you just said is really profound because as an instrumental artist, it's a challenge to, to create a melody that speaks. You know, music speaks to our spirit, basically. That's what I call my guitar, spirit catcher. So as an instrumentalist, and look, this is when I got hit to that, as a matter of fact. I made an album, this was my third album called Better Days Ahead, right? And I got a letter, a fan letter from this prisoner. This prisoner was on death row. And he wrote me this like four page letter, dude. I'm standing at this hotel in Las Vegas on the balcony reading this letter in tears. Because basically his number had come up, so it was time for him to be put to death. And he had been fearing this, he didn't know how he was going to deal with this. And, you know, it was just that his spirit was disturbed totally. To sum it up, this letter said, thank you, Norman Brown, for writing Better Days Ahead. This song now tells me or gives me the resolve in my spirit to face my punishment, to die, to meet my maker, to confess my sins, and that ask for forgiveness, and there would be better days ahead on the other side of that. That blew my mind, dude. This is an instrumental song. There's no words. He heard words to that. I see them too, those better days ahead. You'll see them too. Better days. 
that blew my mind, man, because I didn't hear that when I wrote the song, but the melody had the two elements that I made sure of there. Uh, question and answer. Call and response, and I think that's that's what you got going. And, and I'm pretty sure that after experience like that, you, it forever changed the meaning of that song for you than from and when my, you initially had written it. And in my journey. Yeah. Up to that point, I thought I was doing something that I loved and something that I was good at. But no, man, I was called to serve. And that's what that, is, that, that scenario showed me, that I was a servant of our great creator for this world. And the music had so much more meaning to me then. It just made so much sense, it popped into my mind. And uh, I really locked into those two elements, call and response or question and answer. Um, this is the duality principle of life. It's the duality principle that runs through life, day and night, equals one day, you know, left and right, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, man, woman, and all of that, man, exists. Uh, the polarities is what it's called. Yin and yang, mm -hmm. positive and negative. That plug into the wall to get all this stuff running has two prongs, that negative and that positive charge. If you have either one of them alone, you get no power. So they exist in this duality principle of balance, equal opposites. And that is the principle that I ensure that runs through my music to make sure that it's complete and it speaks. So that question and answer thing gives us a statement. And uh, that exemplifies that to me. And I appreciate that. And I really, cause I, I believe in such things as well and, and achieving or attempting to achieve every day uh, to master that, to master balance and to master some sort of um, that duality because it's in all of us. And I feel like, we're all better if we learn how to navigate and manage both sides of the coin. That's right, brother. It's a unification principle is what it's about. Yeah. We are one race of people in the one world governed by this one world. Therefore, we are interconnected, interrelated, interdependent. We are interdependent on each other. We better get used to that. And the pandemic to me exemplifies that. The whole world stopped. That means we all was affected. Yeah, and, and something that I have to ask you, because as I ask all uh, first-time guests on the show, just because to me it's as important as what they're doing now is the origin story, your influences, what set you on the path to bringing us the music that you've continued to bring us um, for decades now. And... Um, so where did it all begin for you? What was the spark that got it started? I saw my brother playing the guitar, man. I was eight years old. Now I've been sharing a room with this guy for eight years, you know. He had a bed over here, I had a bed over here. We got our closet, closed in the same closet. One day I come home, man, and there was this crowd around my house and I heard this music. And so in the living room, my mother let my brother, my cousin on drums and they had a bass player set up in the living room, and they were going at it, man. So kids from all around the neighborhood was peeking in the windows, standing on the porch, you know, it's kind of like a block party. Blew my mind. I was blown away. I had no idea he played the guitar. And watching him play, watching these people, 
Everybody was just so happy, elated. The spirit was just full of spirit, right? All the way through this thing. So I'm sitting there on the couch looking at this, and I was stunned, stunned. They finished playing. I watched everybody all leave. Everybody was all happy. Watched them pack up. I watched to see where he put that guitar. I wanted to know where this thing had been. I had never seen this in the house before. <clears throat> he put it away in the case. We went into our room. He stuck it in the closet, tucked it neatly in the closet, closed the door, and then he split and hung out with his buddies. I'm going, man, I've been getting my toes out of that closet for eight years. I didn't know it was a guitar in there, you know? So I snuck into this closet to get this guitar. I pulled it out and I'm, and I'm like marveling at it. It's just amazing to me what I just saw him do with this thing, uplift these people. And I began to sneak and play. Every time he would leave, I'd sneak into that closet and grab his guitar. I started trying to play it a little bit, you know. And I did that for about a year. And then he busted me one day. He came home and I was sitting here with this guitar. And like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I need to play the guitar like this. And he looks at me and he goes, Sam Bowens? That's what he called me, Sam Bowens. I don't know what that meant. Maybe he meant I'd be flying around on board aircraft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He said, man, I didn't know you wanted to play it. Play me something. I was trying to learn some Jimi Hendrix. I played him a little bit of it. He said, man, you can play it anytime you want to play it. And he went to bed. That was it for me. That got me going right there. So I played that guitar every day. As soon as I finished my homework, I was on that guitar. Uh, so he saw I serious. And one day he says, man, look, I'm going to talk daddy into giving me a guitar. You got to have a guitar. You really like to sing. <coughs> Excuse me. I said, man, how are you going to do that? My father worked really hard, two jobs every day, sometimes three. So Saturdays was the day to go to the park and do his thing with his boys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, get his drink on. Yeah. He said, man, this weekend, I'm going to drive daddy around on Saturday and I'm going to talk to him and give him a guitar watch. I'm just going to hang with him all day. And he did. That Saturday morning, he got up and left. I'm sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting on the porch. He comes just dodge down the street that evening. I knew it was them. My brother gets out of the car. He does this. I'm like, okay, what's up? Opens the trunk and he had a guitar and amplifier. He did it, man. He did it. So I'm now I got my own guitar. I'm practicing and playing every day. My father said, you know, Popsicle was right about you. You really love this guitar. You really learn to play it. He said, come down to the basement. Let me show you something. He said, when you can play this. Like this guy, then you can play the guitar and you put on. The great West Montgomery. He said, you know how to play like that? I'll give you the keys to the car. Exactly like. Dude, I was on my way. But nobody ever had to make me practice. I just love the guitar. My whole family loved music. It's a big family. They even have the you know, we had the, the big stereo with the TV in the middle, the record player on top. So they would have records all over the thing on Friday, Saturday nights, playing records all day. And we love music. But the guitar stuck with me and it stuck with me. I just kept going, I kept going. That was my inspiration. Sounds to me like, well, that's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. But it sounds to me like the guitar for you it ended up becoming a vehicle of enlightenment. It really was something that you gravitated towards and brought you, it brought you nothing but 
absolute joy, which I think is beautiful because that's why we all fall in love with music, right? Because it brings us something positive in life. My spirit catcher, baby. It does. Music comforts us through our lows. Music celebrates our highs. And we can just put it on and feel good when we want to. It's one of the greatest gifts and one of the most powerful forces in this lifetime for us. That's right. You mentioned two people that stuck out in particular. Uh, first name being Jimi Hendrix. And then you also mentioned Wes Montgomery. What did each of those two legends bring to you as a guitarist and musician, of course? Yeah, Jimi Hendrix taught expression. Uh, you know, the guitar was so expressive, man, in screaming and hollering. And, you know, that song he did, um, Machine Gun. He took, she takes you right there in the war, man. You feel like you're right there, bombs flying over your head every day. He's doing all this with a guitar. That blew my mind. And just his vibe. <laughs> so expressive and colorful and, you know, it was speaking and then dynamic. It was dynamic and just, you know, awesome. So I had to learn to do that, right? And West Montgomery brought the opposite thing along. He brought the same di di dynamic and dynamics and expressiveness in a whole other way. It was cool. It was relaxed. It was sophisticated. You know, that's what it was. And then that thumb thing he had. The way he played with the thumb. And this chordal thing. I mean, he would take a melody and play, first of all, the octave sound. Instead of playing. Put an octave on it. Gave you a whole other flavor. By the way, it took me a while to learn how to get that. My father had me learning that stuff, and I would learn one note at a time. He said, something's missing. Finally, I got it. Jimmy showed me that whole dynamic bend the strings. 
bluesy thing. Uh, you know, that was a big makeup of my sound right there. I can hear both sides because there's moments when you're chant doing the, the Jimmy thing that was, I'm like, yeah, there are moments where your fret work explodes. It's incredibly fiery. And then there's moments where you can channel that more, it's still express, it's expressive, but subdued, a little bit more sophisticated, especially during the verses of some of your songs. But once that chorus or what would be the chorus sets up, you can, or you, you channel a solo. There is definitely a, this fiery energy to, and, and speed to what you play. That's very Hendrix-like. That's what's up. That's what's yeah. up. And George Bishop came in there, of course. That was the, the best. Completion. Yeah, my sister came home with a record one day. Norman, you gotta hear this, man. You gotta hear this guitar player. He's singing with the guitar, man. You gotta hear this, you gotta hear it. George is in there. I was like, oh my goodness, what is this now? You know, and uh, his flashy quick thing was going on. And he had that West sound also. So I had to adopt that. And those are the three guys, man, that really shaped my guitar playing. And I followed Miles Davis. Miles said, you gotta learn how to play like somebody else before you learn how to play like yourself. Incredible. And and you, and what led to eventually you getting noticed and you having, finally getting that platform to um, make records and tour? Yeah. So I grew up in Kansas City. This is in Kansas City, Kansas. I kept playing, practicing, got in local bands. And eventually I said, well, you know, you got to get out of here, man. You got to get out of here to, to do some greater things. And, but you got to learn more. You got to learn more about music. I had some scholarships, you know, to go to universities to study music. I didn't see how that would further my path, though. I always saw that as a vehicle to become a teacher. And that was not in my uh, psyche at the time to do. So anyway, I found this place called the Guitar Institute of Technology, GIT, now known as Musicians Institute. It's in Hollywood, California. Well, now I could go here and learn to further my skills and I'd be in the music capital. So now I had a chance at um, getting a record deal or playing with somebody famous kind of thing I figured. And as I went to school there and studied as a student, I started writing songs. And that's when I really became a writer. I understood how harmony worked and my voice started forming as a writer. And from that story, I knew I had to become an artist. I was a, a, a recording artist. So I was trying to get a record deal. I met a gentleman named Norman Connors, producer Norman Connors. You are my starship, don't take me out tonight. Responsible for a lot of great artists. Incredible he, drummer, by the way. He's a drummer, absolutely. Yeah. Played with Sun Ra, you know, he played some great jazz, yeah. And he produced Michael Henderson, he's responsible for Phyllis Hyman, and, into the whole field, Mary, I can go on and on. But he heard my demo tape, man. He's listening to my tapes one day. He invited me over to his home. And after dinner, he put his headphones on and listened to my stuff for about two and a half hours. And I was nervous. I didn't know what he thought. Took the headphones off. Robert, we got to get this music to the people. We got to get this music to the world. And he was serious. He took two years 
of taking me from label to label to label to label. Finally got me a deal at Motown Records. Motown had a young man, Steve McKeever, who was starting a jazz division. And he was looking for an artist first. Brought him to one of my local gigs. Steve loved uh, my writing style. And then I had this combination of George Benson, Wes, and Jimmy. And so he thought I would be the artist that he was looking for. Signed me to Motown. They put together this Mo Jazz label. I was the first artist to launch that label. And that began my career. They had Stevie Wonder on the first record, man. Boys to Men, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Bobby Loud, Kirk Wade on Drill Bright. It was incredible to be welcomed into the business that way. Yeah. And you continue to work, uh, collaborate, I, I, I noticed uh, throughout the years with uh, the Phoenix Horns, the Earth, Wind, and Fire horn section um, throughout the course of, uh, of several albums, correct? Uh, correct. That's correct. The next one after the storm, Better Days Ahead, you know, we put uh, together uh, some great relationships during that time. Yeah, they're, that's, they're, to me, monumental. I mean, I, I love their work even outside the box with uh, even someone like Phil Collins or Genesis. Whenever you get the, the Earth, Wind, and Fire horn section on one of those songs, very unorthodox, but it was very distinguished. And I personally enjoyed hearing them. So, Brian Fred Wesley, James Brown's horn. Absolutely. Uh, what was it like for you that early on in your career? I mean, we're only talking the second album. After the storm, it came out in 1994. You got this, it becomes a landmark record, um, a, a huge, a monumental success. I mean, you're winning an award. Uh, you win the Soul Train Award. I mean, you know, it picked that number two on the Billboard Jazz album chart. What was that like? What was that experience, that era? What did that encapsulate for you as a musician? Man, it was incredible. Incredible. They always say that your sophomore album proves your longevity. They always say that the sophomore album states if you're going to be around or not and how you're going to be around, right? So after the storm was my sophomore record, my second record, I was raring to go on that, on that record. The songs, uh, some of them I had written prior to the first record, but I had played them out live. I had played those songs in front of people and I got to see what worked, you know what I'm saying, before recording it. And uh, that's the record. I produced that record myself. Norman kind of taught me how to produce on the first record, just between us. This one I wanted to take in my own hand because I wanted to make sure it sounded like I wanted it to sound like. But the songs were arranged and put together um, to my taste. And Motown let me have it. He says, yeah, man, you ready. Let us hear the demos. We went out on a boat one day, man, in Marina Del Rey and was playing my demos. And dude, the demo flowed just like the album. First song I played on the demo was taking it. You heard this, man, that's bad, that's bad. This is this is bad right here. You are. He said, "Let's see, let's see what else you got." And then when it went into it.
wow, man. Okay. So far, we got two joints for the album, you know. And uh, the whole record flowed like that on the demo. And they said, man, let's open up the budget and go in the studio and do your thing. He says, I think you should produce it this time. And I said, wow, I was going to ask you to let me produce it. Yeah. What I what I love about you mentioned being a two and a half years, by the way. Really? Yes. And what I love about that, your records in general, including After the Storm, is from a production standpoint, it sounds clean. You can hear every instrument. You can hear it doesn't sound over um, doesn't sound overheated. There's dynamics. I'm not about exertive compression. And I love when records are made where you can hear the dynamics. It's not um, brick walled, as they call it in the industry, where everything just sounds like on uh -huh. level, very hot. Um, this is everything. You got the dynamics. Even we'll get to it in a second, but even on your latest record, same thing. It's everything sounds very, uh, you, you know, you can make note of everything. It's a good record to put on on a decent pair of headphones and really check out and appreciate the dynamics and the sound. Sonically, I give it. Thank you, brother, for that. Orchestration, man, and sonics, you know, it brings about what we talked about earlier in the beginning of this conversation, balance. It's balance in that, baby. You know what I mean? And everything, Quincy Jones always talked about how in production or in hit songs, everything is the hook. So every part in the music has to be hookish. The bass line, you want to be able to sing along with the bass line. You know, there's a string part coming in, a horn section part. Everything has to be a hook. I remember that. And then the orchestrated part of it from, let's say, let's call it frequencies. You want to hear lows all the way to highs. You want to hear that's completeness, you know what I'm saying? And then, so that's linear, uh, linear, and then you have vertically, you know, so you have the depth, the width, the directionalism, and it puts it in this paradigm there and it kind of makes it whole like the world. You know, we had motion, we live, heartbeat, breathe, earth is spinning, universe is moving. Then we have sound and then we have visual. And within the visual, you got everything like on earth, the land, all the way to the trees and plants leading up to the sky. So you get this whole atmospheric makeup, which makes it complete in totality. For me, related to music, the rhythm, of course, that's the drums. And the solidarity of the earth in that rhythm, the bass. And then you got this harmonic complexity, grass or water leading into beautiful skyline. That's harmony to me. So now with those three elements, there's something you need called melody. So we as living beings, with the rest of us, live in that environment. So that environment is set up for us to live in. And that's the melody in the music to me. So the beat comes from that circadian rhythm. The harmony comes from that atmospheric lushness. And then something has to live in that. And there's your melody. And that's something that, um you can, it's still apparent today because you just put out a record last Friday and that's called Let's Get Away. Uh, top to bottom, to, for me, to my ears, 
it stands right next to everything you've done prior to it. I think it's one of your best records. It sounds like you really put a lot of time and effort and energy. Uh, again, just that I can wait three, four years, but I know whenever you put out a new release, it's going to be well-crafted. It's going to be something that comes from the soul. And it's going to be something that I know is pure of heart as far as your intention behind it. And I can always look forward to that. That's hard to find in an artist. A lot of artists have different motivations at play for their music. Yours always seems to be coming from a very genuine, honest place. And that, to me, is something that I can always take with me whenever I listen to one of your records. Thank you for that, brother. That's based on what I just explained to you, man. It's a reflection of life and this this creation that we live in, which is so beautiful, man. I really make sure that those elements are in the music. Otherwise, um, what's the point? So thanks for that. Let's get away. That's the latest joint. Yeah. Um, it's a double entendre for me. Let's get away meaning two things. Let's get away from the old mindset that we had pre-pandemic, which was separatist, individualism, that kind of thing. That doesn't work, man. We need each other. And we are made from the same source. So I am you and you are me. What I do to you, I do to me. So I want to do something good to me, so I better do something good to you. We need to, we really got to take on that concept, unification. And that's what happened during the pandemic. Pandemic here, and we were all affected. Not just some of us, none of us could escape that. That's telling us we're unified, interconnected, interrelated, therefore interdependent. And let's act that way. So let's get away from that old mindset of thinking that we're not. Then we've been locked up in our places all this time, stuck in the house and so forth. So let's get away. Let's get away. Let's go somewhere beautiful and enjoy ourselves in company that we love and share love with each other and enjoy the beauty of this gifted place we live in called creation. Yeah, we're, we're all part of the same tribe, ultimately. And I think uh, if we realize that, I think we'll, things will be just fine. I think, I think we need to realize that. And as you mentioned, going through that pandemic, it was a reminder uh, um, it wasn't the greatest reminder, but it was a reminder that we are, we are, we need to stand together, right? And and uh, make things work. That's right. We're interdependent. We're interconnected. We're interrelated. Therefore, we are interdependent. You think about a great Swiss watch, I got to get some power while we're talking for the laptop. No, you're good. If you think about a great, the, the great Swiss, Swiss watch, this baby keeps time mapping, right? Why is that? That's because all those gears in there work together. Each little gear is connected to the next one. And they're all related in a way that they have the same goal. And they're dependent on each other. And if one of those little gears goes out, this thing, it's not going to keep time. So it's the same with us down here as divine beings. Yeah, we're human, but we're divine beings. We come from divinity. And we're interconnected. You know, you got to eat and sleep like I do. You got to read the same air I do. It's food. We're interconnected. And we're interrelated. We got the same purpose. Serve each other. Take care of the planet and the environment. Provide a service for each other so we can thrive. Not only survive, but thrive. And therefore, we're interdependent. Therefore, we're dependent on each other. I'm dependent on you to get this music, my message, you know, what, what my fans want to know about me and this music to them. Uh, you're dependent on me to give you that content to do with it, 
they're dependent on us to get this information to them. That's what it is, interconnected, interrelated, therefore interdependent. And we better get that, man, so we can live our lives in optimality and stop living in chaos. That's where I see it. What, what helped you, uh, if you don't mind me asking, no. Have, <laughs> what, what helped you get to that point where you realized all these things, all these different philosophies in life? What, what, what inspired that for you? Started, I had three questions, dude, when I was a little kid. We went to church every Sunday, you know, we were Baptists, and I see this emotionalism, man, people getting the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost and falling out. And I'd see the, you know, the preacher again telling us about the word. He was so passionate about it. Then I would watch how people live. And people struggle to live that. And I was like, man, it's interesting. Come back to church on Sunday, ask for forgiveness. Next Friday, Saturday night, do my thing again. You know what I'm saying? I just watched this cycle going on. And I asked three questions. What is God? What am I? What is this place we live in called creation or life? And why am I here? And the answers I was getting was vague. They, they weren't clear. So it set me on this quest. I'm a quest, I questions of my thing, man. But it set me on this quest to find the answers to these things. And it came, you know, halfway through my life, you know, probably in my late 40s, I started figuring it all out. What's happening? Because, for example, what is God? Almighty. Okay. What's Almighty? Supreme being. Okay, but what's the supreme being? The most high. Okay, but what's the most high? Lord. I'm sorry, but what's the Lord? Then it's just, stop questioning. Just trust and believe. Now I'm stuck on, trust and believe in what? You know, you know what I'm saying? I still don't know. I just know something is greater than me. Something made me and all this. What is that? When I started getting an understanding of that, blew my mind. Oh, I see. God is this, the mystery we call God. I see it as this entity that exists. Why is it an entity? It's two-part being. Energy and matter. Power, motion, energy, in matter, throughout matter. And consciousness and will. So knowing or intelligence and being able to do something with that. So now I learned... God is a two-part being. It's an entity that's a being made of two parts. Energy and matter, consciousness and will. I need to try to explain that. Consciousness. Man, I'm looking at this board and I can see these things. I'm conscious of that. We're having this discussion now. I'm conscious of that. That's consciousness. That's voluntary. And then we take from this ideas or thoughts or theories or concepts and we go, man, I have this idea. I want to do something. And that's will. So now I saw my brother playing the guitar. That was consciousness I took in. I identified that. I willed myself to say, let's go see what that is. So my will, I invoked the energetic part of me. Move. And I went over and got the guitar and practice. I did the energy work in it. So that's consciousness and that's will. Uh, consciousness, will, and energy, and matter. What's the matter? Me as a human, as a person, the guitar, the music, that's the matter. 
So consciousness and will, energy and matter. Oh, now that makes sense to me. That gives me more of an understanding now. So now I can identify what this mystery we call God is, have more of an understanding of how it works. And that gives me a reflection of what I am, because I'm made from that. So I have the God particle in me, I have the God gene in me. So I am consciousness and will, I am energy and matter. That's why I can program myself. My consciousness as a baby, saw people walking, standing up trying to learn how to walk. I did that too. Fell, got up, kept going until I could walk. That was consciousness using my will to take my energy to learn to walk. I programmed that. And then from then, everything else, learning, how to speak, identification. So I said, dang, that's what it is. That's what we are. We're a two-part being, an entity called man slash woman that's made of two parts, consciousness and will. Energy and matter. Dude, now I understood why I taught myself how to play the guitar. I consciously saw it. I willed myself to take my energy to practice and figure out what Wes and Jimmy were doing. I programmed my spirit to play this guitar. In turn, I tamed a spirit catcher. That's what I got to answer for. So now I know what God is. Then I know what myself is. This place we live in, why am I here? God wants to have experience. This being right to the beginning, by itself, one of them. All this energy and matter, all the power that will ever be in the world, all the knowing or intelligence or consciousness that will ever be, is aware of that. So it's going, hmm. Excuse my French, but I'm badass. I'm everything, you know, nothing to be more, I'm everything. What do I do with this? I, in fact, I don't even have anybody to talk to. I'm here all by myself. I know everything, can do everything, but I'm by myself. I want to have experience. God says, ah, I'm going to create creation and indwell into it. Therefore, all of this gets to be used. I get to experience. You and I get to have experience. It's a beautiful thing. So we became the vessel of God on earth. God said, pow! Bust yourself up, they call it the Big Bang Theory. I was just going to say that. Fantastic. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. That's it. You get it. You yeah. get it. So now we got the solar system. We got the Earth. We got the planets. We got everything. We got you and me. And we down here. And God is kicking it now. God plays the guitar. God's interviewing the guitar player. God is listening to us do it. We figure it out. God needs to have experience. We are the vessels of God on Earth, man. That's why. That makes sense to me. 100%. Now, I learned this from the ancient Egyptians, by the way. The ancient Egyptians, spiritual science of Asaurus, Asaurus, Asaurus sets aside as a place where we study what's called the anatomy of the spirit. We learn about the anatomy of the body. So I know if I'm sick, coughing, or whatever, check out my cardiovascular system. Stomach's hurting there. Check out my digestive system, lymphatic system, so on. So the doctors know what to deal with when there's a problem. What about when there's a behavioral problem? What part of the spirit do you go to to meditate on? Oh, we didn't, we didn't learn the anatomy of the spirit, so I'm not sure. That's what the ancient Egyptians taught us. The anatomy of the spirit is the 11 laws, the 11 laws of God, or the 11 steps of creation, or the 11 
faculties that govern life. It's called the tree of life. The tree of life. The palmetto of Anu. I learned it from that. And I also learned it from the great Taoist, ancient Chinese science of Taoism. They figured this. Since I can't see God, I want to know what God is. How do I know what God is? Ah, I'll study what God did. So they studied nature. Kung Fu artists, they'll stand like a tree to build up their strength and they'll be strong and they're not being pushed over like a tree. Uh, they learn to fight like the animals, you know, because the animals are, that's what they do. They learn to protect each other. So I'm gonna learn how to fight like a crane, like a snake, you know, a tiger, a leopard, because that's how, that's the best way to learn to fight. This is what God created. I'm gonna eat with the seasons that with the food, I'm gonna eat the food that grows in the region I live in at the time it grows. So now I'm eating with the seasons. You know, they tune themselves up with nature like that to understand God. I thought that was brilliant. And so through Taoism, learned a lot about survival in the mundane sense. The Egyptian scientists, scientists learned about the spirit and the internal. And those really brought me to where I am right now in my understanding of living. So I have what I call a framework for thinking and reasoning about life. Incredible. And that to me is that influence itself, I'm sure, uh, really comes into play, really is handy when you're making, when you're writing and you're performing today, right? I'm sure you said, mm -hmm. you mentioned you learned or you were, you came to these realizations later on in life. You said you're ready in your forties, right? So how that influence I'm sure had affected you in a big way that affects your music. Your music still sounds incredible. Didn't change in that regard, but I'm sure you creating that music, you filtering that music, there's a slight change there. The slight change is that I'm being conscious of that's what I was doing. Right. I can trace my albums all the way back and see how they mirror or echo of my life just between us. Me and the guitar, I'm trying to get this thing going. So it's just between us. After the storm, finishing some storms in my life, you know what I'm saying? And so on and so on. Better days ahead. That set me up to remember, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Hold on. So it's better days ahead. And it's funny because after that, I didn't get to make a record for four years. Yeah, you did just chill after that. And, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so it came all the way around. But listen, I made a record about this idea two records ago. It's called The Highest Act of Love. There's 11 cuts on that record that I wrote to represent those 11 laws that I was talking about. So y'all check that CD out. The Highest Act of Love is the law of Ma'at. This is the fourth law. Um, I'm sorry, the, um, see, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. Yeah, fourth law of God called Ma'at, which says this, God needs you in order to come into the world. Fulfilling God's need is the highest act of love. So I call the record that. And it is only when you fulfill your love for God that you can fulfill your love for others. So become the love of God in the world for the protection of the world. And man, I thought that was beautiful. So the highest act of love from TV is, dude, I wrote 26 songs trying to get it right. Almost two songs for each one of those met laws to make sure I was pretty accurate in that. And uh, so that's what Dark CD is about from top to finish. Fantastic. And just really quick, um, in, in regards to your latest record, Let's Get Away, there's a story that I find very touching because it kind of brings things full circle here. And... Uh, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, please keep going. Yeah, no worries. It's a song called West Side Story. Yeah. And you know all about West Side Story. I, I was touched by the story. And it, it to me, overall, it does bring things full circle. Definitely does. Would you mind sharing with me that story? Because I think it's a wonderful one. Well, there's two great heroes for me. The great Roy Brown Sr., my father. You know, who loves me. And, uh, of course, his offspring, Roy Brown Jr., my brother, Popsicle. But Daddy had me, man, learn these Westland Grammy records, man. And he really told me, when you play like that, then you can play the guitar. And he was so right in how West was so complete in his expressiveness on the guitar. From creating a new sound with the thumb to making it smooth, soothing, yet sophisticated, and energetic, um, I, it was an incredible, the depth of my artistry, the level of the depth of my artistry that comes from that experience. Daddy said, man, you know, every Friday night, yeah, man, hey, son, learn this song for me. I'll give you a piece of car next Saturday night. You learn this. <laughs> you know, that was inspiration, and uh, he loved to watch me just practice. He would sit there all night, you know, just watch me practice and try to learn these songs, and it was West Montgomery. So West Side Story is sort of my uh, tribute to those two great heroes of mine. Yeah, I love that. And um, for anybody who hasn't checked it out, please do. There's other tracks I love, like Talk It Out, L.A. Chill. That is a classic Norman Brown, if you want to put it like that. Uh, but um, yeah, Back is the current single, by the way. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. But Norman, I, I really I don't I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've given me enough. I, I really do appreciate you doing this with me today. Uh, you've honestly, this is probably one of the most enlightening conversations I've ever had in my life. And I really appreciate you being a part of that and uh, really uh, teaching me a thing or two here today. Um, and it is true. You learn something new every day. But this is this is some I learned something positive. Uh, you enlightened me in a lot of ways. Um, Today is a better day, thanks to you. So thank you, Norman. And uh, I really appreciate you all the best. Appreciate you, Max. Thanks. Y'all keep tuning in to my man. He's bringing it to you on the real. Thanks for having me, brother. Have a great day. Peace and hey, blessings. Hey, you as well, Norman. All the best. All right. All right.